Welcome to week number three of Moses in May and a little bit in June. Today we're going to get into the Exodus narrative, God's people actually stepping into freedom, which is a fantastic story in scripture. Even if you're not that versed in what happens in the Bible, you are probably aware of this particular grand event where God's people are freed and they walk out in freedom to begin their new life. So we're going to think through some of those elements today. Last week, we left Moses, this reluctant prophet, at the scene of the burning bush, where God kind of calls out to him from the bush to say, Moses, (laughs) I have a job for you. There's something that I want. I have heard the cries of my people in slavery in Egypt, and I see their bondage. And beyond seeing this and hearing it, I'm ready to act. And so I want to send you. You are now going to go back to Egypt. I know you haven't been there in a long time and you had to flee. But I want you to go back and I want you to confront the most powerful leader in the known world. And you're going to ask him to free the Israelites, my people, your people. Well, as we discovered last week, Moses made all kinds of excuses as to how he couldn't do that, how he shouldn't do that. He's not the one. Certainly, there's somebody else. And God was very patient with Moses as he offered up all of those different excuses. And God met him in each one of those excuses to say, Moses, I'm with you. I love you. And I will enable you and empower you with this task. So Moses departs, and that's where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 4. Before we get into the narrative, though, I want to share a big idea that will frame our conversation. Here it is. When things look bleak, God has the ability to do fantastic work. He really does. This is good news for all of us. When things look bleak, and they certainly look bleak for Moses and for God's people, and we'll walk through some of that today. When things look bleak, this is just when God does some fantastic work. So the conclusion here is keep hopeful eyes on God. Keep hopeful and faithful eyes on God when things look kind of bleak around us. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are currently walking through something that's challenging and looks bleak and you feel stuck and trapped and there's no way out of the situation as you see it. Well, then today is for you. And it will be an encouragement to say, just open your heart to God, run to him, shelter in God, because he does fantastic work when we're trapped and we're stuck and when things look bleak. Maybe that's not you today. You're feeling good about life and it's not bleak and you don't feel stuck. That's wonderful. We will also receive the encouragement, even in the midst of that, keep hopeful and faithful eyes on God. We can't stop doing that. Okay? So when things look bleak, God has this incredible ability to do fantastic work. Conclusion, keep hopeful eyes on God. All of that brings us to Exodus chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or a device, 
I would encourage you to join me in verse 27. You can find this on the church app. These words will also be on the screens. Here we go. Let's dive into the narrative. Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. It says, Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. I want to pause here because we're introduced to a new character. It's Aaron, who plays a very important role in the whole Exodus process. Aaron is the brother of Moses. And God reaches out to him to say, Moses is going to need some help. You're his brother. Please go. I need you to do this. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. And it can be really quick to kind of overlook that. Keep in mind, it's been a long time since Moses has been in Egypt. Remember, he had to run and flee for his life. And he begins a whole new chapter in the land of Midian where he marries and raises his family and becomes a shepherd. And now he's back in the land of Egypt, really significant. And their first meeting is with the elders, the leaders of Israel. And so they pull them together. Verse 30 tells us, Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses. And Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and, will you say this word with me? Worship. Let's try it again. They bowed down and worshiped. So as we look at Exodus chapter 4, I just want to share a couple of quick thoughts. Here's the first one. God often uses teams of people to accomplish his work. Now, Moses is certainly the central figure in all of this. But Moses didn't act alone. God brought along Aaron, his brother. And Moses' wife, Zipporah, is involved. And Moses' sister, Miriam, is involved as well. And later will be introduced to Joshua and Caleb. There are other people that are part of the story. God works through people. Often, he works through teams of people who are focused on him and what God wants for them. I want to sidebar for just a moment and say, I am so proud of the many teams of people here at Valley Point Church that God is using to point people to real relationships and real significance. I think these teams are a model of how we can and how we should function in a better together kind of way. And there's all kinds of teams over this place who do ministry and service to others. There's a staff team and an elder team, and a production team, and a worship team. There's a children's ministry team, and a care team, and a prayer team, and a safety team, and all kinds of teams of people around here 
who come together to accomplish what God wants for us as a community of faith. And I believe that's the way God wants it. Again, there's a leader in the story here. There's Moses, but yet there's a lot of people around him as well. And we can't forget, one of the things that falls out of the story is that God does work through teams of people to accomplish his work. And that's a really encouraging thing that we see here. The second thought is this. Responding to God's greatness is always a good thing to do before big decisions and important events. All right, just let that roll around for a few moments. Responding to the greatness of God is always a good thing to do before big moments in life and big movements and big changes. Hopefully you picked up on verse 31. You said the word a couple of times. The people bowed down and worshipped. So after Moses and Aaron come and say, okay, you're not going to believe this, but God has told us after hundreds of years of slavery, we're the ones who get to experience freedom. It's going to happen. God's going to work through us. And they listened to all of that, and then the people bowed down and worshiped. That's a very dynamic word there. It's a Hebrew word that means to bow in worship, to prostrate oneself, to make a low stance as a sign of honor, worship, and homage of deity with an associative meaning of allegiance to that deity. <laughs> this is a really strong word here. It's not, oh, they sang a song and they prayed a prayer. No, they took in all of this information and they understood and they sensed God is at work here. And he is doing something in these leaders and he is about to do something extraordinary through all of us. We can't even figure this out. We don't even know what it means. But God is about to do something he is about to fight our battle for us. He is about to surround us. And they got low and prostrate before God, and they responded to his greatness, and I think that enabled them to move forward. So responding to God's greatness is always a good thing to do before big decisions and important events. We see that happening here, and I think that should be happening more in our lives as well. And that's just a reminder for us. So do you have a big life event coming or are you in the midst of a big change right now? Just know one of the things we discover here is that it is always and always means always here. It's just always a good idea to respond to the greatness of God before, during, and even after these events. Okay, here's what happens next. Back to the text, chapter 5, verse 1. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. Here it comes. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I'm not aware of this God. And I will not let Israel go. 
Verse 3, but Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. And one of the underlying things that we see happening in the Exodus narrative, especially with the approach that Moses takes in meeting with Pharaoh and then the plagues, which we'll think about in just a moment, is that there is a battle of the gods somewhat here. A battle between the God of Israel, the God that we worship and love as well, and another battle with the gods, small g, of Egypt. There's a lot happening here, and Moses and Aaron are fully aware of this, and Pharaoh says, you're God, I I don't know him. We have all of our gods here in Egypt, but you're God, I'm not so sure, so that's not going to happen. Verse 4, Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. So knock it off. You're keeping the people from their work. You're giving them false hope about leaving here. It's not going to happen because I don't know your God. Well, what occurs next in Exodus through chapter 11 are the plagues, the 10 plagues that happened in Egypt. Even people who aren't biblically literate are aware of these 10 plagues. They're something that are part of a lot of different movies. The 10 plagues are something that occurred as God's way of getting the attention of Pharaoh to release his people. I would encourage you to read through these chapters and clutch, catch a glimpse of this epic battle between an 80-year-old Moses. He's not a young man when this happens. But there's just an epic battle between an 80-year-old Moses and the most powerful, influential leader in the known world at that time, Pharaoh. I would encourage you to go back and read this battle between the God of Israel and the gods, small g, of Egypt. Here is a list of the 10 plagues as described for us in Scripture. We're not going to read through them, but I will list them for you. The first plague, water turns to blood. And then we have frogs and lice and flies and sick cattle and boils and fire and hail and locusts and darkness. And the final plague is the death of the firstborn. What's interesting about these plagues is that you can kind of categorize them a little bit. The first two plagues, the water turning into blood and frogs are calamities related to water. The next four, lice, flies, sick cattle, and boils, affect people and their livestock. The third group, hail, locusts, and darkness are airborne menaces. And then the tenth plague is just absolutely devastating. So these plagues were very disruptive, as you can imagine, to the normal life patterns in Egypt. They caused a lot of pain and disappointment and heartache. What happens as a result of these plagues? Well, author Adam Hamilton states it this way, the impact of these successive plagues that just kind of invaded the land of Egypt, one plague right after another. 
The impact of these successive plagues was for Pharaoh and the Egyptians to actually do this, to beg the Israelites to go. And if you dive into scripture, you will discover they even helped them leave. Like, we need you to get out of here. We need to be a stranger to you. This is not a good thing, so please go. And they actually helped them in the process. So God's people, all of a sudden, think about this. For the first time in hundreds of years are now being released. And they're walking and beginning a whole new journey and stepping into freedom. It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, what we see happening next in Exodus chapter 13 is that God actually asks Moses to mark this day. Like, this is a big deal. Our people are finally free, and I don't want generations to ever forget about this. So you need to mark this day, this day of freedom. And here's what it looks like. Exodus chapter 13, verse 3. This is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand, God fighting your battles. And then he gives them a little diet tip here. Remember, eat no food containing yeast. Don't do that. Verse 4. On this day in early spring, in the month of Abib, which is generally somewhere between the months of March and April. This year, Passover, which Jewish people still celebrate because God asked them to do this, occurred on March 27th through April the 4th. So they're still thinking about this. So on this day in early spring, somewhere between March and April, I want you to mark this day. You've been set free. Wow. And you must celebrate this event in this month each year. On the seventh day, you must explain to your children, I am celebrating what the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. This annual festival will be a visible sign to you, like a mark branded on your hand or your forehead. Let it remind you always to recite this teaching of the Lord. And here it is. With a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. So observe the decree of this festival at the appointed time each year. We have to remember that they were living this. They didn't have a Bible to go back to and say, oh yeah, remember when God did this miraculous thing for us and we have been slaves for hundreds of years and God brought us out of slavery and into freedom. They didn't have a book to look at because they were experiencing it in real time. And so Moses said, this is gonna be a really big deal. And God wants us to remember this annually. So you are to pass on through oral tradition to your children and to your grandchildren and to your great-grandchildren that God won. God was bigger than all of the other gods in Egypt. And he brought us out of slavery and into freedom. We can't ever forget about this. And so this annual reminder was set up as a way to say, let's keep telling the story orally of how God, God won. God fought our battles. God surrounded us and enabled us to move into freedom. 
Well, wouldn't you know, it wouldn't be that easy to just step out of Egypt, the big events where God's people need him to come through for them keep occurring. And that's what we find in chapter 14. Here's verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. Like, what have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. I think it's really hard to imagine this scene and the desperation of a group of nomads and exiles and refugees on the move into a new territory. A large group of people who all they've ever known is slavery. They're not trained in fighting battles. They don't have weapons. They don't have those kinds of things. This is a desperate and really a hopeless situation. It's a disaster. Scripture tells us that they made their way to the edge of the Red Sea, and so that's in front of them. And now the greatest fighting army, the best trained army in the world, with all of their might and all of their glory, is bearing down on them. Not just anybody, but Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his chariots and all of his soldiers, the greatest army in the known world, bearing down on a group of refugees to capture them and bring them back into slavery. This is hopeless. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Here's what I want you to do. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. So can you imagine this scene? A big group of refugees trapped by the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. And Moses declares to this group who's saying, you know, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. We could just die there. He's saying to them, just remain calm, okay? Because here's what will happen. The Lord is surrounding us and he will fight our battles and he will come through for us. So just stay calm. Just stay calm and watch this. Watch this. 
But what happens next is one of the most dramatic scenes in Scripture. It's where God opens up the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across on dry ground. Pharaoh's army tries to pursue them, and the waters close on them, and God's people are delivered once again because of the enveloping presence of God. And he fought their battle, and Moses was able to lead through all of this. And then, what do we find? Well, after all of that, God's people on the other side of safety and freedom in front of them once again, there is yet another song of deliverance in chapter 15. And I would encourage you to find that and read it and think through it because they just watched the amazing. And you can imagine the conversations, can't you? Like, did that just happen? Did, did you see that? And where's grandma? Is she still with us somewhere? Like, wow, this is an amazing thing. It, it really is. And so they offer up this song of deliverance once again, where they respond to the greatness of God. So think about this now, okay? The journey begins without them knowing, how are we going to get out from under the hand of Pharaoh? It doesn't make sense. We have no way to do this. But let's worship God. Let's get low before him and respond to his greatness before this big event happens. They did it in the middle of it, and they do it at the end where they offer up this song of deliverance. I think there's probably something there for us. It just writes itself, doesn't it? Okay. Pharaoh, Red Sea, refugees, crossing into safety, plagues. What do we do with all of this? I want to share three takeaways with you. Aviva Zornberg, a Jewish scholar, stated, and this is the first takeaway, the foundation of human value lies in God's love for sheer, mere humanity, as represented by the lowest, the exile, and the stranger. And as we walk through the narrative of Moses and how God used him, we can't forget about how God sees the lowest. And while the Exodus story focuses on the pain of the Israelites and how God saw and heard, when you continue to walk through the pages of Scripture, it points to how God sees all human suffering, not just the Israelites, but he sees all human suffering. So personalize this, okay? God sees your suffering. He sees your suffering. And maybe we need to act a little bit like Moses, who continually ran and sought refuge with God. And I think all of that running and hiding in God allowed him not to focus on the pain in front of him or the entrapment or what was causing him to be stuck I think all that running and hiding in God allowed him to focus on the bigness of God and how he is capable of doing things that we cannot do and we can't even see. So perhaps you just need to take a lesson from Moses today and run in him and hide in him and allow that to take your focus off of the pain, off of what's causing you to be stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And focus on the bigness of God. 
and what he can do and probably wants to do in and through you. Let's not forget that. Takeaway number two, when hemmed in on all sides, look up to God. Sometimes that's our only option and maybe that's what you need to do. In verse 15, we have full indication. This is what Moses does. Like, wow, God, we need something here. When hemmed in on all sides, look up and be faithful in doing that. And then number three, following God is adventurous. It sure is. Enjoy the ride, even if it does not make sense and you cannot explain it. I would say it's probably good if you can't explain it because this is often where God does his best work. So following God is adventurous. Enjoy the ride, even if you can't explain it. That's a good place to be. Okay, back to our big idea. When things look bleak, this is where God does fantastic work. Conclusion, keep hopeful eyes on God. Let's do that. Father, we are so thankful for yet another glimpse into the life of Moses and how you used him, even though he was reluctant to accomplish something that we're still talking about today. That's the release of God's people and the plagues and the dramatic rescue of crossing an uncrossable sea. God, they were surrounded, your people, but they were also surrounded by you. They had tough things around them. They were stuck, but they were surrounded by you. God, I can't help but think that for those who are here today and those watching online, that there are some people facing really big things, tough things, stuff that may have them trapped, stuck, and things look bleak. God, would you help them and help all of us as a community of faith? Just recognize we can either focus on the object or the pain. Or once again, even if we've done it hundreds of times, we can come back and run into the presence of God and shelter in you and focus on the size of our God who won, who won. Help us to do that today and throughout this week. Knowing that breakthrough is possible, help us to keep hopeful eyes on you in the process. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.